0: An Eye for an Eye podcast contains subject matters that many may find disturbing. Listener
1: discretion is advised. Developing story alert: As a former Hamilton County morgue employee is accused of having sex with a corpse,
2: it's a new chapter in a mystery dating back to August of 1982. That's when door-to-door salesman David Steffen killed 19-year-old Karen Range at a Roselawn home. He was sent to Ohio's death row. Steffen confessed to the murder but denied raping Range. That's where former morgue worker Kenneth Douglas comes into the picture. Douglas was in charge of checking Range's body injury. To the morgue and now stands accused of sexually abusing her corpse. It wasn't until now, 55 year old Douglas was arrested on an unrelated drug charge in March, that a DNA sample was taken and linked him to the semen in Range's body. He is now charged with gross abuse of a corpse.
0: So we are back with part two of our episode with Lee um, about necrophilia and. Everything to do with it. It's so interesting. We've learned so much so far. Truly, we're gonna dig right in. We're not even gonna waste any more time. Here is the part two. We're coming right out right now. Moving to another case that you had us uh, you look into that I thought was really interesting, um, Kenneth Douglas of Ohio. So we're going back over oh, yeah. on our side of the woods. Um, sure. It was. It was that case was really interesting to me specifically. It was kind of disgusting, but um, because they kind of went after the the funeral home, the, the morgue that it happened in. So I thought that was interesting. So basically, a quick overview of that case is Kenneth Douglas, he worked night shifts at Hamilton County Morgue from 1976 until
3: 1992. Well, the way he got caught was, was really interesting, actually. So what had happened is there was a woman called Karen Range, who was murdered by a traveling salesman in the early nineties. I think it was, yeah, it was 92. And this guy had cut her throat so severely that he'd nearly decapitated her. But they, when they came to do the autopsy, they found that there was uh, semen uh, inside her. One of her orifices They didn't specify in, in the article I read.
4: let
3: just, say in her vagina. And this guy was like, look, no, I didn't rape her. I really didn't rape her. And so back then, um, actually it was a no, it was 82. My bad. It was, I think it was 82 that this happened. So back then they wouldn't have had DNA, but they could at least do a blood test. So I'm just speculating here, but, um, Perhaps they did a blood test or something, and they were able to determine that, yes, the semen inside Karen Range was not that of the killer. Mm. So he was telling the truth. So it was like this mystery, well,
4: whose semen was it? Wow. And it wasn't until 2008 that
3: they realized that, you know, through DNA testing... That it belonged to this guy who worked the night shift at the Hamilton County Coroner's Office, and an attendant called Kenneth Douglas. That he had essentially, uh, you know, raped the, the corpse, the near decapitated corpse of oh, the God. murder victim. Wow.
0: <laughs> it's like I try yeah. not to shame people's sexual fantasies, um, but it's. That one goes a bit far
5: that's that's not really a sexual fantasy i think that that's an overt act though i mean you know doing it and actually and then like do you think that was purchased particip- i'm thinking that was part of the murder investigation right They're still was that still an active investigation well, yeah. right
3: well yeah they're probably thinking to this guy have an accomplice right uh, you know it was probably really baffling so it interferes with the murder investigation but here's the thing with this Douglas guy. We have way more information on him. So they, they then linked mm-hmm. him to another two cases of uh, April Hicks and Charlene Appling. Uh, Hicks was 24. She had died falling from a third-story window in 1991. And Appling, when she was 23 and six months pregnant, was strangled to death same year, 1991. Hmm. So two of two of these three uh corpses that Douglas had raped were uh, murder victims, which is interesting in itself. It seems to, you know, maybe it was just because of the
0: nature of them that they were investigated that mm-hmm. he was caught for those. Yeah. But
3: it could also show that he has a penchant for, you know, that there could be a, a, a more sinister element to it as well, right? Yeah.
0: Because I, I read when I was looking into it that he s- admitted to having sex with up to 100 dead bodies, often while drunk or high on drugs. And he said, quote, if I wasn't drinking or hadn't had anything to drink when I went to work, it wouldn't happen. I would do crack and go in and I would drink and go in. I would just get on top of them and pull my pants down, end quote. So... Do you really I mean do you think this was like an inside perversion brought on by drugs or do you think he just wanted to get laid cuz I know his wife reported him like her reporting him because he smelled like shit is what she said um you know she smelled like like gross gross sex some kind of nasty smell and she reported him um to the to the um to the Hamilton County morgue and basically they dismissed it and said, whatever happens on County property in County time is County's business. So do you think that's commonplace for morgues to say if there, there's a report or do you think, you know, most places take this very seriously?
3: I think most places they look at, well, what do we have to gain yeah. by telling it you
0: know, <laughs>
3: yeah. by having this come into the media And, you know, having this individual prosecuted and usually it's nothing at all. And then they go, well, what do we have to lose? And it's a substantial amount. Yeah. It could be, say, like a a funeral home, they could drive you out of business. If, uh, you know, in the case of this this coroner's office, it was uh, the target of various civil lawsuits. And so I think... The sad thing is that most people just do that cost-benefit analysis and um, either just allow it to continue to happen or quietly dismiss the employee.
0: Yeah, it, that seems don't... like that's common. Really, it it sounds like that's and and you're yeah. absolutely right. I think it's they're 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 kind of viewing it as the corpses property. Whatever happens on property is going to be handled by us. Doesn't need to have in the law involved because you're right. I mean, could do you think a more could get shut down because of because of that? Even though there's no I mean, there's no clear-cut laws, as we've seen with the act of necrophilia, but do you think, um, you know, a morgue could be shut down for that?
5: Well, yeah, with civil lawsuits, what would you think? I mean, that
3: could possibly
5: put them out of business, right, if they were to...
0: Yeah.
3: The morgues um, in Ohio, with, with the coroner's office, that would be publicly owned, right? Yeah. Okay. So, I don't know that it can go out of business. This is where... Victims' families, you're at least going to want to replace the people running it, right? right.
0: Oh, absolutely. Like
3: someone, someone's got to pay for not taking that report seriously. Like when the guy's wife literally
0: calls and says, you know, he smells like sex and alcohol, like coming in like from the morgue from
3: his work at the, the morgue. Yeah. like, hey, it's,
0: can you yeah, imagine that? Property.
3: I can't imagine why you would stay with someone who <laughs> you suspected. Him.
0: Right? Right? Because it didn't say it was like his ex-wife. It said it was his wife when he was arrested. Ew.
3: Yeah. That one is <laughs> yeah. gross. And her uh, her paper was on some of the websites. <laughs> Sorry, her picture was on some of the websites. I
0: saw. This. It's just like, why would you want yourself associated? Like, I would get my ass Far away my name would be changed Uh uh-uh, uh I'm not No way am I gonna be associated with that shit Uh uh-uh. uh <laughs> No way. Cause she probably I mean I mean unless they had a sexless marriage Which I guess is common You know she uh By like property You know those little charts that they used to have in high school Where it's like If John has sex with Teresa And John has also had sex with You know Clarice Clarice And you know Everyone's connected Ooh, Fuck But yeah. um Ugh Well I, I d- Before we proceed I think this is very
3: interesting here. What was the nature of the sexual relationship between Kenneth Douglas and his wife? Because that can greatly inform us about the kind of, um, maybe perhaps the type of necrophile that he was. Um, so right now I'm looking at it and I'm thinking this guy is a, is a true necrophile. He's a preferential necrophile. He's had sex with hundreds of dead bodies. He's, been employed here from 1976 to 92, probably doing it the whole time. Oh. And I don't buy his. I don't buy his whole. Well, I was drunk and smoked crack, and you know, therefore, I I had sex with the bodies. Like it's just not something that's in you to do. You know, I, I believe it. More of it was I was drunk and smoked crack and murdered someone.
4: Yeah, I believe yeah. that most people right.
3: have the have the, the capacity to do that. I don't think that most normal people. Even entertain the idea oh, of, of having yeah. I mean, sexual intercourse with a dead body. So, you know, drinking and taking crack, it's, you know, those, I think that fantasy element must have already been present in him. And then, yes, those may have lowered his inhibitions, but it had to be there in the first place. And it, I don't think it's there in almost anyone.
5: And I like that you so, point that out, too, that, I mean, a lot of people will use anything as an excuse. To say why they would do something and, you know, like they're drunk or they're... Well, that's like mental illness. A lot of
0: people say like, oh, you know, I'm schizophrenic, so that's why I did this. But then you think if the statistics and, like, the amount of offending schizophrenics versus the amount of people who are victims when they're schizophrenic is a lot... um, Like, you know, you're more likely to be a victim than you are to be a perpetrator. But people hide behind these guises. Um, to to kind of justify the action. Well, you know, I had a mental break, which could very well be the case. But there's a lot of people that have had mental breaks that don't fucking go out and have sex with dead people or eat people or whatever the fuck is the case. Right. So it's it's important to point that out. That drug, you could be a crackhead and never touch a dead body in your whole entire life.
3: Right.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, in, in my
3: experience with uh, these really aberrant types of. Uh, murderers or or sex offenders, it's really a very complex stew. You yes. know, you almost have to take them on a case-by-case basis.
0: Which can, get, can get so frustrating because, you know, half the time you're like, just give it, like, throw the book at them, then half the time you're like, shit, like, there are parts of this that we do need to take into consideration considering, like, their background, their their mental state. You know, if, they were, if there were underlying factors or if there was childhood abuse or et cetera, et cetera. But I thought it was interesting in this case because Ohio, you said, is one of the non-felony states, right?
3: Uh, Ohio was, let me check, it was, okay, uh, so there is are some states which classify necrophilic or tangentially related acts as either misdemeanors or felonies depending on specific conditions of each case. Hmm. And those states are Connecticut, Kentucky, Mississippi, Montana, Ohio, and Wyoming. Oh. Oh, interesting. That is
0: interesting. I, It drives me crazy, but I love it that there's so many like little tiny specifications for each law. Because I guess that does make it more fair because you can't throw a blanket over every offender in every situation. But it is so frustrating because some of them are like, oh my God, but he, Doug has got, uh, he got, three years in prison for this he did plead guilty um and it was mainly for the range case he also pleaded guilty for um the hicks and appalling case um but he got three years do you guys think that was fair do you think in this situation where he admitted to having sex with over a hundred corpses do you think that's a fair sentence um and most and like like lee said most of these victims were murder victims well, I don't know if most, because he said over 100, but, you know, the three that he was brought up on uh, were all murder victims. What do you guys okay. think? Okay,
3: so uh, this was three years he served them concurrently, so he only served three years in total for all three victims?
0: I believe so, yes. But he also got sued, but that, I mean, that I don't care about being sued, that's not... No, yeah, but, um, so,
3: yeah, he, he served them all at the same time? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know, I guess, well, we have to rule out the hundreds he confessed. We have to, like, if we're just speaking legal,
0: right, we have to stick to... The three that he was charged on.
5: Right, that's what I'm thinking too, Lee.
3: So, take the hundred aside, and then go, okay, uh, a person who commits a single rape in Ohio, what do they get? That's a very good question. I don't know if you guys know, but... I don't know offhand.
4: Um,
0: I'd me, say... Yeah.
5: It's probably... I'd say I'm just going to guess it's a 15-year minimum sentence,
3: I would think. That would be nice. Yeah, for sure. Um, if you're found guilty so of probably, rape probably one... Get less.
0: Okay, wait. I looked it up. It said in Ohio there's two separate terms used to describe sexual assault, rape, and sexual battery. Both crimes are severely punished under state law but cover a different range of sexual contact and level of force or intimidation.
5: What's rape? What? Rape in the first degree? Um,
0: it says... Rape is any... Okay, so, um, it says... Hold on. I can't find where the sentencing is. Punishment. Got it. Rape generally considered a first-degree felony, but there has been a mandatory... Term for some of the conduct, such as administering a drug to the victim. If force or coercion is used, the offense the offender faces life imprisonment. So if you drugged someone and then raped them, you face life. Um, sexual battery, generally a third-degree felony. Prison sentencing ranging from one to five years and or fines, not more than $10,000. And if the alleged victim is under 13 years old, it is a second-degree felony and result in a mandatory prison sentence of two to five years and or fines up to fifteen thousand dollars so that's interest. oh if, if yeah if the person in seeing one to five so basically it's one to five years um for sexual battery and then life imprisonment if if it was rape um with force coercion, or drugs used
3: so I, I i say we have to say that well we don't have to say but in my opinion three corpse rapes are not as bad as one living person rape.
0: I would agree with that. I would
5: agree with that a hundred percent.
3: Okay, so then I'd say we're looking at. I think I think that's a. Then I get, if that's what the sexual battery is, and he got three years, I think that probably is a pretty fair sentence.
0: I, I guess I would, yeah. I mean, it's so hard to break, you know, I love that you, this is like the first time we've had someone on a show really break it down by the law and based on the evidence and the facts of the case. Cause, you know, I'm so quick to try to jump on emotion. Um, because, you know, obviously this is gross to me and, and it makes me sad for the families, but you're right. You can't think like that because that's not how the law works. Um, so I agree with you. I think based on what the laws are, the, um, The sentence does fit the crime. I do agree with you on that. I mean, maybe wish it would have been five years just because it sounds like this is an ongoing issue. And I don't know how much or if any focus on like rehabilitation in prison is for this kind of thing. So who's to say he's not going to get out in three years and start digging up corpses because it seems to be his forte. That
5: was a concern of mine as well as what. What do you do after those three years? And what type of... First of all, what type of job can this person get in society that's not going to be slapped on their label as, you know, you went to jail for having... Sex with
0: three dead
4: people.
5: Right. And that on top of being a sex offender. But, I mean, it's just like, where do you go from there? That person is almost coming out with the intent of being...
0: Well, do you think if he got... If he did this again, say he gets out three years, right, and then he's caught having sex with another um, dead body, do you think they would really throw a book at him, or do you think they still couldn't because of the limitations on the law?
3: <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Do you guys still have the three strikes you're out law?
0: Um, I think three, I don't know. Three
5: if, felonies, life in prison. Yes. Yeah.
0: Does Ohio have that? Or is that everywhere?
5: Uh, I'm not sure if that's a state law or if it's a federal law. I believe it's federal, though. I think, I and it, think it's federal. Yeah, I think it is. I think if you have three felonies, then you're sentenced to life. Yeah, your, your next felony is life in prison.
0: Lee, do you know if he had to be registered as a sex offender, or is that just kind of assumed because of the, the nature of the crime?
3: I don't know if he was or not, but he certainly should be. Yeah, because
0: it I says mean, on yeah, the on the state laws for Ohio, it says if you're convicted of one of the above crimes, so rape or sexual battery, you will have to register as a sex offender within the state of Ohio. So, I'm... Um,
3: yeah, and I would say with this guy, like, lifelong, too. Like, that is... Uh, that's, that's a different situation. Like, then... I mean, maybe the Wisconsin guy's... Your guy could have got there. We don't know because they were stopped early. But yeah, um, here here we've got three cases and an admission of of more. If I was looking at well, how long should we put this person on the sex offender registry? I would say the maximum legal time.
0: I agree. Yeah, um, I, I would agree. But on the on the morgue. Um, And hospital kind of cases. Another one you you mentioned to look into I found really interesting and is short, so kind of goes along with the ones we've been talking about, was uh Anthony Marino's case from New Jersey. And I think this is really interesting to me because how um how I I mean different the the whole thing kind of fell over. So he was 24 years old, he worked as a lab tech at Holy Name Hospital in Teaneck, New Jersey. Um, I think he actually lived in New York, but the crime took place in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, he had only been working at the lab for 14 days and had passed a criminal background check before being offered the position, so he didn't have any prior record uh, that was noted, at least when the background check was performed. Well, a security guard caught him sexually desecrating a 92-year-old woman's corpse who died of a staph infection inside the morgue hospital. Of course, the guard called the police and he was arraigned on a charge of desecrating human remains, a second-degree crime in New Jersey. So the judge set bail at $400,000, with conditions that included Moreno surrendering his passport and submitting to a psychological evaluation, which I think is super important. Um, And he faced a maximum of 10 years in prison if convicted, Um, but he ended up being sentenced to seven years in prison after being found guilty of having sex with a corpse. And he had his lawyers negotiate a plea agreement, uh, that filed a motion to have a sentence reconsidered and placed on five years probation upon serving 11 months and 15 days in prison. And I couldn't find any more updated information after that. I don't know if that actually went through, but I do believe it did. Do you, what do you guys think about this one? So he could have faced up to 10 years in prison for having sex with this 92-year-old woman's corpse, um, but he ended up only serving 11 months, 15 days in prison and then... Uh, He is on five years of probation, which I'm not sure what the probation, like what they're monitoring on probation for him. Right. What about that
3: one? Uh, Should I go first? Yes, take it away. Okay, well, I look at this guy was here for 14 days before he did it. So I think this is important because let's say you had uh, someone who was, a member who was a scout leader for 14 days before they were caught, and that's, keep in mind, caught, right? As, you know, sexually assaulting their first child's victim. To me, it would seem that he entered this setting planning to do this. Right.
0: Ooh, I didn't think about that, but I, I 100% agree now that I'm thinking about it. I love how you break these down because it's, like, ways that I wouldn't have thought to, but now I'm going to apply this to every single case I look up from here on out because, I, I, like I said, I normally get kind of emotional about it, which is, you know, okay for my podcast because it's more based on, like, what do you think? Um, But I really like how you break these down kind of with the comparisons. Okay, how would it be applicable to this scenario? And I agree. You're right. I didn't even think about the 14 days. I just, you know, thought, oh, he was new. But you're right, it does seem like he came in with intentions because he was only there for 14 days before wandering down to a morgue that he didn't even work in.
3: And so what he said to, to the security guard, he said, I need the key to the morgue. Uh, I need to get into the morgue to get some human tissue samples. And uh, apparently he had a key or something that wasn't working. So the security guard went and led him into the morgue and the security guard just kind of was, you know, I, I don't know, strolling around, and then just got a weird feeling about it. So the security guard was intuitively picking up on something, and he went, he walked in, and that's how he caught him.
0: Oh, that's so, so creepy! Can you imagine? Yeah,
3: and yeah, and so there's a lot of a lot of planning that that goes into this one, um, and. You know, not that it really matters either, but I don't know. I saw pictures of this Marino guy. He didn't look like a bad-looking young man. No, either. yeah. I mean, I mean he, so this would seem to me like um, a, a preferential thing. Um, unless he had, like, absolutely terrible interpersonal relationships and no self-confidence despite all that, you know, that's possible. And he might have thought, like, this is all I can get. And so we... Discuss that kind of right at the beginning of the podcast that there are those type of necrophiles, but I would say that this guy is like Douglas is a real necrophile. He's not just um, you know a corpse molester. Uh, So this would have been this would have become a pattern, I think, with Mm
5: -hmm. him. But that also gives you the perspective too, Lee, that you know not everybody that fits into one of these categories is necessarily. Has the same appearance that we all might imagine. You know, when people think of pedophiles, or people think of necrophiles, necrophiles or people think of anybody, uh, any—I mean, anybody with yeah. any sort of fetish Deviant or strange deviance, whatever it might be, anything at all, not necessarily even deviance, but. You think of oh, it's probably some guy huddled in his mom's basement, you know, sitting around. Like no, I mean this can affect a young, good-looking person, and yeah, decent-looking man. Yeah, and not necessarily. You know, there are always people that break the mold and not necessarily be one general category you can fit everyone into. You know. Yeah. No, I I agree with you, and
3: that's what's really interesting. So Anthony Marino, uh, when he's caught, at least. He's like a 24 year old, uh, I, w- I would say probably more attractive than not, uh, Caucasian man and living in Manhattan. And Kenneth Douglas, when he's caught, is <laughs> a 60 year old black man. And uh, I'm guessing not attractive. Uh, yeah, no. Like,
0: he was kind of gross you for
3: looking. Uh, I'm not good good at gauging that.
0: Um, (laughs) um, I agree with all of your assessments thus far.
3: Yeah, so, um, but this actually goes, too, towards, like, a lot of the myths that we have about serial killers, too, so, um, and I'm not saying that these guys are serial killers at at all, but, you know, many, I'd say the majority of serial killers have uh, these kind of, really atypical paraphilias like uh necrophilia or, or sexual sadism I, I could keep going on and on it but those two
5: i was gonna ask and you how many different types of paraphilia are there do you know
3: has that resilient. ever been established or Ooh, um, <laughs> because really any act or object or combination of acts and objects could be theoretically sexualized, sexualized. i would say that there are none infinite. Right. The limit does Infinite. not
5: exist. The limit does not exist. Thank
3: you.
0: <laughs> oh yes. Yeah,
3: it's like that dance music song, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yes.
0: So yeah, that, that you one should is...
3: just pat that in there for like ten seconds. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Just yes. plug the YouTube video real quick. I will.
0: That would be funny. <laughs> oh my goodness. But yeah, uh, yeah, that one that one was interesting because you're good. right, he is uh, traditionally not someone you would In your brain, pull up when you're thinking of necrophiles or necrophiliacs or anyone, you know, having sex with a corpse at all. Especially, you know, a lot of the times too, you think like, okay, so the last the case with the three boys, um, that I mean, yeah, she was a car crash victim, um, but you know, she was an attract, there was an attraction to her physically, um, like I'm guessing they saw her, like you said, they saw her picture in the news so they were attracted Probably to her face this yeah. this 24 year old was banging up on a 92 year old woman with a staph infection
5: yeah where, where so that, that has to be from?
0: that has to be something you're like you said ingrained in his fantasy life that had nothing to do with like curiosity it had there's absolutely no way it could have just been like oh i'm curious i'm alone with and like you said he asked the security guard for a, like a badge to get in right so it's weird. I wonder if that was even, you know, considered in this sentence where it does kind of seem it was very premeditated not kind of like a spur of a moment. Oh, she's hot. Let me touch her because I'm alone with this cold dead body that can't do anything back.
3: Right. Yeah. I still think that we have to consider that, you know, um, even though it's an atypical sexual attraction, that he really might have found 92-year-old women really hot.
0: Yeah, that's true.
3: Very true. We can't and knock so it. So that's a, that's a, a paraphilia in itself, uh, gerontophilia. So it's not like you just have one paraphilia, right? In fact, what we find a lot of the times with people that have fetishes and paraphilias is that they have a minimum of about four. And then Interesting. it can go on. Oh, you know, Yeah, the theory is that there could be some biological predisposition to this.
5: Now, that is very interesting, and that piques my curiosity as to wondering how, if you find one, what other determinations you could make about people based on that, if somebody were to ever disclose, you know, maybe, the, like, a foot fetish or something of that, and I'm just spitting Where
0: there's yeah. one, there's many others. Right,
5: I mean, you know, how deep does the rabbit hole go with some people? I mean, Ed Gein. <laughs>
0: Do you think, so, real quick, getting back onto the, the paraphilia topic, is there, so, like, so say you one day have – does it have to be a reoccurring fetish or could it – do they count it if you had, like, one, fe, like, extreme foot fetish and then you kind of were like – okay, because, like, I guess a fetish is something that lasts, right? Um, but
3: well, so let's get, let's get back to the what I was saying at the beginning. Yeah. So um, a, a fetish or paraphilia is not a fleeting thing. It, it's coded into your sexuality, right? right. Now, that's the fantasy, the thoughts. Now, are you talking about uh, one act? Because the act and the thought are not always the same necessarily, oh, right? Like correct. Um, so, I gave the example of uh, Ramirez having sex with the corpse of only one of his, I think, fourteen murder victims. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Dahmer had postmortem sex with all of his victims. So. Um, once again, there's. Um, it's not like you can have a, a foot fetish. Like You're either a foot fetishist, which which is a podophile. You're either a podophile or you're not.
0: Yeah. Right. Okay, that makes sense.
3: Now, yeah, so why don't you rephrase it with that in mind? and I'd probably answer the question better.
0: Yeah, so I guess if you've only offended once, only acted out on one...
5: Like fetish. Ramirez did. Like, to experiment, would yeah. that be something you could classify someone as based on...
0: Like, One. Could, like, yeah, would, he, would, would you it be did, fair you, to you classify him as a necrophile? First, yeah,
5: when you first mentioned that, you did say that you would classify him as some form of,
3: right? Or am I mistaken? I would, well, there's, yeah, there's... You, degrees. I mean, I would call him a dabbler. <laughs> yeah, I love that you call it
0: dabbler. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Uh, I'm, uh, you know, corpse molester. Um, <laughs> yeah.
3: pse- pse- pseudo necrophile is the term that a lot of others have used, but okay. I don't like pseudo necrophile because it implies that you're a necrophile, which I, I, I just you don't, don't think, think you I'm are, yeah, right. there so, should okay, be that distinction. a little bit.
0: Well, you, it's interesting. So this conversation leads us into the next case on Karl Tanzler, or Count Karl von Kassel, from U.S. Well, he's technically from Germany. Um, but he resided in Florida when all that took place. Now, he might be the most well, besides, like, you know, your typical Dahmer and um, serial killers, because he didn't kill her, but um, I think, I mean, of course, his is really popular because the fucking pictures are around, um, and they fast, it's, it's like morbid curiosity because he fell in love with this woman who was gorgeous, beautiful, beautiful woman, and uh, she passed away of, what was it, tuberculosis? tuberculosis. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um and she was beautiful. Um let me pull up her name cuz I can't think of it. Uh was a long ass name. Maria Elena Helen Marag Malagro De Hoyos. Um and she's a Cuban American woman who by all accounts was this beauty. She was gorgeous, you know, by standard beauty standards, she was, you know, one of uh, a gorgeous woman. But he fell for her right? of course, you already know about this case. Um, And he, you know, kind of inserted himself into her life when she was living because he was so enamored with her. Um, He said that he had a vision of a beautiful dark haired woman that had been revealed to him. And he believed that this was her. So it seems like in in this case, it is going to be really interesting to debate whether or not this is Um, you know even considered necrophilia or not because of the debate regarding you know that the logistics of that but um for that case he what did he do he dug up her grave and didn't he say he like heard songs singing to him or something
3: so he had been working at a medical center um a marine medical hospital And her mother had brought her in because it turned out she did have tuberculosis, which she eventually died of. And he just saw her and he was like, since I was a child in Germany, when I was visited by one of my dead ancestors who showed me the face of my true love, I've always wondered who it was. And here she is standing right in front of me right now. So he just became immediately obsessed with her and he started like, he professed his love to her and showered all these gifts on her and he had no real training in in medicine, Mm -hmm. but this nevertheless uh, did not impede him from trying all these different medicines and x-ray techniques and uses of electrical equipment, like all these quack cures to try and to try and rid her of this disease. Which of course he didn't, and she died. And then he was so infatuated with her. With her, he paid for her funeral, and he even paid for her to be interred in an, an above ground mausoleum in Key West Cemetery. So her family, you know, probably thought the sun sh- shone out of this guy's ass, even though he wasn't able to save her. You know, he's doing
4: everything absolutely
3: devoted to her. Yeah, yeah. and so. But you know who knows whether he had planned this all along or whether he just couldn't live without her. But um, on April, April 1933, he so this is about two um, just slightly under two years after she's died, about year, a year and a half. He sneaks into the cemetery and he disinteres her from the mausoleum and he takes her remains back to his home. And, of course, they've, you know, been rotting for some time now, so she's not exactly what she looked like uh, <laughs> when she immediately <laughs> died. Yeah. So he uses wire and coat hangers to bind her bones together. He replaces her eyes with glass wands. Her skin is decomposing. Whoa. So he takes...
0: I'm going to show you a picture.
3: That's in wax and plaster of Paris... And he kind of uses this to replace her skin. He stuffs her body with rags because presumably her organs have all decomposed by this point. And then he just keeps her, I think, in his bed and sleeps beside her. Now, the interesting thing is, originally, when this all came out, it was because her sister, in October of 1940, had heard rumors that, you know, he was sleeping with her corpse, and had gone to the, had gone to uh, Tansler's house or von Kostel's house, whatever you want to call him, and um, had actually seen the body and called the authorities. But at that time, they didn't report anything sexual. But in 1972, two men who had claimed to have been there uh, during the investigation said that he had put a tube. Like a, I think it was like a cardboard tube or something where her uh, genitals were, which he would then use to have sex with her. But I think the most bizarre part of this is that how much of her is even a corpse
5: at this point? That's what I'm I mean, I, 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 Yeah, how
3: much human being
5: was really left there? And, and I, I don't mean to lighten the situation at all, but... How did rumors get started about this? I mean, was he bragging to people <laughs> about like? Well, uh, didn't, how it, did this wasn't get it? Wasn't start- it
0: widely received, kind of as like a sweet love story type of thing? Like it wasn't. I don't feel like many people. Like yeah, he, people are weird the fuck out by him, but I feel like more people when they hear this story because it did go viral. Um, they're more like enamored by it and kind of like, aw, like he loved her so much he couldn't let her go and so he lived with her dead body that he mummified um you know or not mummified he stuffed with rags and plastered her face um yeah so it's interesting because you know we hear jeffrey dahmer of course he murdered them and he carl tanzer did not murder her um but you you think of one as a monster and then the other as a as a Motlin, no, Romeo he's and Juliet. Wild, you know?
5: <laughs> Definitely didn't think Romeo and Juliet.
0: <laughs> well, that's but that's how it's reported. A lot of people, besides, I'm guessing her family, uh, do kind of think it's like kind of charming the story.
3: Yeah, he was he was seen as like this eccentric romantic, and he clearly beyond just this was a very eccentric character. I met a guy actually in in Brooklyn who wanted to recreate his entire life story using puppets and,
5: Whoa. He, and when i
3: told when i told him i was a um, specialist in the field of necrophilia he said well that's great i'd love to involve you in it and if it goes through we'll get we'll do this he said but you don't understand that's not even the most interesting part of this case he's like you wouldn't believe this carl Tansler guy what he was like i mean he called himself count carl von kossel right yeah um this whole idea that he was visited as a child by uh, a dead an- ancestor, uh, Jesus, what was the ancestor's name? It was like some baroness or something like that. Uh-huh. That, no, that Countess Anna Constant, Constantia von Kassel had visited him as a child and shown him the face of his true love. And the guy had like traveled all over the world and he wanted to go to like the, uh, uh, like Samoa or something something like that, he was he's, he was always really eccentric and weird. Yeah. And so yeah, defi- definitely he was a, portrayed as a romantic e- e- eccentric. That was the way it was. But the funny thing, it's like for some reason I feel that if people would have known about the tube and the sexual intercourse, it yeah. would have flipped immediately turn. to creepy old Doctor Frankenstein-like necrophile sex offender creep, right?
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't think about it like that either. Like, You're right. Which
3: says something really weird about our society and the way that we view romantic love and sex. Right? Like one somehow negates the other.
0: That's yeah. That's that's really interesting. It does. It really speaks to that because it, it is. Why did that suddenly turn him into this disgusting, you know, freak of nature, whereas he uh, he was a romantic before when he just lived with the dead body and, you know, slept next to her. Um, it, that's, that is really interesting, and it's it's just also curious. It, well, I'm actually kind of surprised that he was taken as this, like, like eccentric, you know, romantic.
5: I am, a- too. I don't know where that perception <laughs> came from, but...
0: Because hey. he loved her so much, and she was his one true love, that he couldn't bear to be away from her, literally in death. Um, <laughs> he must
5: not have heard of Tinder.
0: <laughs> I don't think he's around that time. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, I know that, um, but yeah. So this this one was really interesting. Do you do you? Um, well, so was it ever actually confirmed that he had you know consummated his love with this woman after death?
3: no i mean if it if it was they didn't talk about it yeah. and so these two guys in 1972 who you know said they were there and they're like no there was a tube he was having sex with you know his his creation because it's really more his creation at this point than it's her
1: right yeah um it's it's like a, a replication of her um
3: but uh so no I don't think that it was ever confirmed but I mean would it surprise you because it wouldn't surprise me
0: No not at, not at all especially cuz he slept next to her every night Um but my question is then in definition wise of paraphilia and necrophilia and like the degrees of it would this be considered a dabbler necrophilia because if 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 we go by what has been reported which not much um, to say that he's had sex with the corpse, even though, you know, it's probably assumed by many. It's assumed by me, I would think so, um, especially for how long he had her. Um, and if he was, like, in love with her, you you know, of course, you associate love with passion. And, I mean, like, maybe he didn't cross that line, but it sure sounds like he did, especially with the tube um, in her vagina, but, or, or reportedly in her vagina. Um, so it's interesting. Do you think that this is, like, a dabbler? Because do you think his intention was dead body or do you think his attention was i love this this woman whatever whatever state she's in
3: yeah i think that uh so when i looked at this topic i broke necrophilic attraction and i really wish now i had not called it necrophilic attraction <laughs> but i'll just stick with it because i have now because the thing is about ne- necro it, it literally means body it doesn't mean dead yeah in the Greek it, it means it means the corpse and so that was a bit of my error and I'm gonna revise that one day but I said well I looked at a whole bunch of cases and I said there seem to be five main attractions or allures of necrophilia And so one of them is that the victim is passive and inert So that whole thing I can do whatever I want to it whenever I want and it can't criticize me. That's like the most common motive for uh, post-mortem sex acts. Um, there's a, a second one of these allures I call the corporeal sensory, and that's people that actually liked, like like um, the way a dead body looks, you know, or the way it smells, or the, the kind of sensory aspects of it. That was quite high, too. And then there's like kind of three lesser ones, and I think these... Uh, so one of them was, I called Ritual icon- Iconographic and that was people who were kind of into the scenes, all the things surrounding death and and this is why I would argue that I was wrong and it's not really necrophilia it's kind of in that territory so people who like like funeral candles and coffins and mm-hmm. tombstones like the cultural elements of it, I don't think we can say that that was Von Kassel um that any of these three things was, was von Kassel. Um, but I think perhaps the last two were, uh, were, so one of them is very obvious. I believe I just called it, um, like romantic attachment Mm -hmm. and it seemed to apply to these cases, just like we're talking about here where someone literally could not part. And you saw this much more, um, equally represented in, um, between males and females than the others. Like Mm -hmm. most of the other stuff was with with males, but this seemed to be more male and female. It was like someone who couldn't part with someone they absolutely loved loved or were obsessed with. Mm -hmm. And there was numerous cases like that. And so I think we can say Von Kossel had this romantic allure, but also I noted one called, the spiritual magical allure and it's people who have very strange notions about death and uh you know really strongly believed in the human spirit and and that like the spirit of this person is with me and uh our souls are connected and bound at some sort of mystical level and so i'd say that you could take those last two of my five allures and say that that's the sort of um because I can't, co- that's the sort of, let's call him a corpse molester for now. Because yeah. don't know he's a that necrophile. That's the sort of corpse molester that Von Kossel was. Yeah. And when, you know, this is just in its earliest stages of theorizing. This book came out in 2016. But I would say, yes, it's more about the idea of the person when you think about it that way. Mm-hmm. You're looking at them as more of a metaphysical entity, right? Yeah. Right.
0: And it's, it's also interesting for this case because she did pass away young, right? So it, can you imagine if she hadn't passed away? That's my question is really, do you think he would have ended up doing this to, you know, someone else, you know, who passed away earlier? Do you think he really genuinely wanted a relationship with a living human being but couldn't let go of the one that he fell in love with? Because I feel like that's something to consider as well, especially with those degrees, um, Because I I think you're right in the fact that he would be more considered um, like a a corpse molester rather than a full-blown necrophile because I don't know if I think he would have necessarily, I mean, maybe if like if he had a spouse and the spouse died before him, I feel like this is a pattern that he probably would have fallen victim to regardless if his spouse, you know, died before he did. However, I'm curious to think, you know, what if he did have a, you know, a wife or he did end up marrying this girl even though she had uh, this woman, she had no, there was no, you know, reported relationship or requited, you know, on her end. It didn't seem like she was ever interested.
3: I mean, um, actually, they were both married. So he was married okay. and she was married. Yeah. But they were both a strength from their spouses. Wow. So they both didn't live with their, she didn't live with her husband and he didn't live with his wife.
0: Yeah. At the time they were- So it's yeah. like, it's, it's, do you wonder, it's like, would he, would he have done this? had she lived or had, you know, he fallen for someone else who had a longer lifespan. Um, whereas, you know, with the, the two that we talked about that were humping people in morgues, um, I feel like, you know, they would have done it regardless. It seems like that was more of a plan. Whereas this kind of just kind yeah. of fell into his lap because of circumstance. Which not to say that uh, yeah, this is like, the way, a, okay. you know, a quote-unquote normal person would react if their loved one died. You know, this is not, this is not a normal... Uh, quote unquote, you know, nothing's really normal. But this is not a typical fashion for anyone. But, um, do you think he would have fallen victim to the the necrophilia idea had had this not been the case? No, I think that he was uh, just absolutely obsessed with this person, mm-hmm. and he, that she was like the fulfillment of some strange prophecy
3: that she had as a child. And I think it was actually more about a a really romantic version, idealized version of some sort of love outside of the physical and even the human realm that he held, you know, and th- and it was really specifically about her. So I don't think that he would have committed um, postmortem mortem uh, rape or, or any kind of sex acts on other victims. I think it was specifically about her. And I think that this guy was probably I mean bordering on psychotic and what I mean by that is like he probably spent much of his life delusional and you know maybe even hovering around schizophrenia or something like that Mm. like if you just look at the, the whole pattern of his life and his behavior and the way he thinks about things yeah I mean eccentric is a nice way of putting it but He's kind of like a he's kind of like a mad doctor,
0: right? Yeah, it's kind of like your your example of Doctor Frankenstein. It's kind of exactly what he because he he even was quoted saying on the stand when he was brought up on the um when he was like being you know questioned. He said that didn't he say he wanted to like beam her into the space to see if uh hold on let me see where the quote is yeah so he said quote he planned to use an airship to take Hoyos quote, high into the stratosphere so that radiation from outer space could penetrate Elena's tissue and restore life to her Solomon form.
5: Oh, me next. Yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So it does, Um, he... He he seems like Dr. Frankenstein. (laughs) Yeah, and he also said that he heard her voice calling to him to
3: uh, come to her uh, mausoleum and to take her body So, like, I think that in a case like this, we're looking at someone who's genuinely mentally ill. I'm not saying that Kenneth Douglas and Anthony Marino and the, you know, kids in Wisconsin might not have also had some sort of, like, personality disorder or, like, you know, kind of like a mild Mm -hmm. psychiatric problem. But, like, this guy is, his grip on reality is not there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it was interesting, so... Um, the statues, of limitations were, uh, were in place. They, they, they were beyond it, um, when they went to try them, so the charges were dropped, but he asked for the body back. Homeboy had the, the audacity to be like, after all this stuff that I put his, their family through, you know, all this, like, you know, it was horrifying for them, I'm sure, he asked if he could have her body back. So you can see that, like, the obsession was so real that he didn't give a shit, that he was just. You know, almost tried for this. He just wanted to be near her. Yeah. And even so, obviously,
3: they didn't give the body back. But then he just had a, um, he had, a, I, I think, working from a death map. Yeah. He apparently had a life size replica made of her and he lived with it until he died. So <laughs> now we're talking about the relationship between, um, necrophilia and pygmalionism, I think also known as uh, Galamatophilia or something like that, which is, uh, uh, there's a sort of similarity between people who are into dolls and mannequins and statues and people that are into corpses. Like for instance, Jeffrey Dahmer, who- I was just going
0: to ask you about that.
3: (laughs) Yeah, stole a mannequin, right? And he was also into, uh, he would uh, date rape a lot of guys, so guys that were unconscious. And this is what we call the um, necrophilic spectrum. And so it's like, well, he can't have the corpse, but it doesn't really matter because he'll just have a representation of it. Yeah. And he'll just kind of place, almost like a kid with a teddy bear who, Believes it's like their imaginary friend.
0: Ted. He's just t- taken the idea of her soul or whatever it is that he yeah. believes
3: in, and now he's like, "Well, i recreated her in this doll form, so no. I'm she's with me again." Real quick, So that's why I'd say that he's really not a necrophile. It's it's something else. It's yeah. Like, it's a, his, his thoughts are not are completely disordered. I think he's delusional. That's what I would say he was. Well, absolutely, and I so a delusional person could. In their delusion, do this
0: sort of thing. Uh huh. Well, I have a question, real quick. Um, again, going back to Jeffrey Dahmer, just because it's it's a good <laughs> base case because it really it runs the gamut. Um, for the mannequin thing, a lot of reports I read. So I I was I watched my friend Dahmer, um, and they had a and A with uh Back which is the author who was like semi friends with Jeffrey Dahmer, um, and and you know through his research and talking to the family after you know everything came out, and then other research that I've done. Um, Some people think that had his grandma not found the mannequin and disposed of it, that he probably would not have, um, you know, become the monster he became. Do you agree with that? Or do you think, you know, I mean, because that was after he committed his first, what, two or three murders. Um, But it did seem like that kind of satisfied whatever, like you said, that kind of, helped him play out this fantasy and he, and it was fine with him because it did when he had that mannequin the murders stopped for a little bit
3: yeah i think that ultimately he would have returned to them i mean we're talking about with his first victim he if i remember he dismembered the body and put it the head against the wall and masturbated all over the dismembered body i mean i there is more to it than just a uh, motionless body for yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer, Dahmer likes to cut things open. He, so what um, a necrophilia, a necrophilia spectrum, uh, paraphilia called necromutilophilia. Um he, he had one called visceralania. He was interested in, in internal organs and such. So to think that the, I'd say it's still human body having sex with it or, or masturbating on it or whatever that wasn't even his primary paraphilia. I think that he was interested in dissecting things, and that was that was actually more to the point. So, no, I think that even if the mannequin could have satisfied that, it could never have
5: satisfied his desire to put his hands into warm entrails and
0: Ugh. that
3: sort of thing. It, it, <laughs> there's just too many perversions that he had beyond, yeah. you know, what we basically think of as necrophilia.
0: Yeah, well, that's a really great point. I'm really glad I got your insight on that because that's, again, things I hadn't have thought of um, before. And and I don't think a lot of people have because, you know, a lot of people don't really research into necrophilia and the different paraphilias and, and all the different um, factors that go into it and all the different names for the different things he did. They kind of just blanket statement it. And I think it's interesting to go really into it and really pull it apart for what it is. And that's kind of what you just did here which I think is super... I mean, I'm, like, fascinated by this whole conversation. Yeah, um, obviously. Yeah. But, obviously. I'm... Yeah. but um, moving into one of the last cases here, which I find really, 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 really interesting, um, especially because we talked about um, the role, you know, male versus female in this in this uh, world of necrophilia, or, you know, that kind of thing. And real <laughs> real quick, again, another tangent. Um, is there any um, weight On women versus men. And just paraphilias in general.
3: Yeah. It seems that men. You know. Same old story. Men account for like. You know. Something like 99% of people with paraphilias. I think you see certain paraphilias. Emerge more in women. um, So. Or at least to a level that's comparable. So you have a lot more female masochists, Um, a lot of hebristophiles. Hebristophiles are women who are sexually turned on by a violent partner. Mm -hmm. Um, So that one kind of makes sense. So there's a few paraphilias where you see them represented to a higher degree in females, but just overall, I'm not saying to a higher degree than than men, perhaps, hebristophilia masochism probably somewhere around the same or even maybe half
4: of what men were uh-huh. but most paraphilias are
3: it, it's it's male dominated it's just that same old story you know if it's uh it, men <laughs> think what they're junk
0: the <laughs> i'm just kidding
3: <laughs> well I, one of the theories about it is that uh for men sex is a very visual thing that men um, process sex through the eyes more than women do. And, I mean, this is, I, don't, I, haven't, proved, I haven't proved anything, but this would sort of predispose you to um, fetishizing objects and acts rather than, uh, like, sensations, say. mm
0: mm-hmm. Right. That's a very interesting point. That's a good point. I didn't think about that, of course. Yeah.
3: Neither, honestly. I
0: haven't thought about any of this. That's so. It's so interesting to me now that like we have you here. I just want to like pick your brain about all of this because <laughs> it's just yeah, so well, fascinating. be a good
3: time to plug, plug my textbook, which is ridiculously expensive. But um, if you go to Cognella Bucks uh, they sell it off that website. It's Understanding Necrophilia: A Global, Multidisciplinary Approach, and that's got just like almost 500 pages of pretty much every single way that you can look at necrophilia specifically, or if you're just more interested in, uh, sexual homicide specifically in general, I have a great textbook, homicide, a forensic psychology case book, and you can get that one from Amazon. And, uh, I think that one's a a real steal. And so a lot of those ideas, uh, I put into also into the homicide one. Anyways,
0: I'm yeah, no, uh, no, I'm interested in getting these books. To be honest, when I was looking, you know, into your background, I, I, I saw these books and I'm like, this is stuff that I'm so interested in. Like, like I said, even just talking to you fascinates me because of all, you know, all of the knowledge that you have on the case on these kind of things that are, it goes so much deeper than, you know, you have the roots of the tree. I'm just like the branches. You know, I just see the surface, whereas you've really dug into each of these cases, dug into each of these paraphilias, and I do think it's really interesting. And I'd love to include links to your books in our uh, show notes when we release this, because I do think it's interesting, and I, I want them, too, because mm-hmm. I'm really interested to read about it as well, um, you know, because I could literally pick yeah, your brain for hours. If your
3: listeners feel the same way, we go this deep on my podcast, Murder Was the Case. Yes, That's you do.
0: I was actually just listening to your podcast today. Um, and I'm, I'm obsessed with it. It's just so good. And it's, like I said, it's, it's one of those things where you have insight that many people don't, um, or don't even think to, right? So we've talked about things on, on a lot of these cases where I didn't, I wouldn't even need considered those, um, outlooks or those, you know, the, like Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, not being just a necrophiliac, having all of these different paraphilias that no one knows about because they have the wildest names, You know what I mean? Unless you're researching these, no one really is aware that, you know, there's a paraphilia for entrails, you know, being, you know, it's, it's so interesting. Um, But yeah, so getting into the last case here, um, I was so interested by this one as well, because it is one of the, you know, main women cases of, of known necrophilia. Um, It's Karen Greenlee from California in the U.S., um, mm-hmm. And she's considered the best known Modern practitioner of necrophilia So that's a title I don't think I'd ever want to carry really But I mean to each his own um, But going yeah, over
3: I think uh, she tried to wear it with pride For some time And, and then turned an around <laughs> and, and that interview backfired on her And she really wished she hadn't done it Yeah that's
0: what, I found that actually really interesting um, Going over her Her Regret, um, after doing this interview, that I have snippets from that I want to read and talk about. So, um, basically just going over her case really quickly. Um, she was an apprentice embalmer at the Memorial Lawn Mortuary in Sacramento. Um, in on December seventeenth, nineteen seventy nine, she stole the nineteen seventy five Cadillac hearse. She was driving to a funeral along with the body of a thirty three year old man who had died a week prior. Um, that the hearse was contained um so her the hearse and her were found a few days later and basically she had attempted to commit suicide by overdosing on 20 pills of tylenol and codeine but ended up surviving um a doctor had said she was extremely depressed when they found her they had to pump her stomach um and she was found with a four and a half page long written confession where she admitted having sex with 20 to 40 other bodies of young men calling it a, quote, addiction, unquote. Um, The letter that she had wrote was interesting, and I think I'd be really interesting to hear your opinion on it. It it was filled with remorse originally over – because it seems like she's gone back and forth, and I feel like a lot of that is due to the public uh, opinion rather than her own, but that's my personal opinion. We'll go into it in a second here. But basically, the letter was filled with, you know, why did I do it? Why the fear of love, relationships, no romance ever hurt like this – It's the pits, I'm a morgue rat, this is my rat hole, perhaps my grave. Um, And it was not illegal in California at the time, so she was only accused of stealing the hearse and interfering with the funeral, for which she did plead guilty and was sentenced to pay a $255 fine, and she spent only 11 days in jail. Now, this is what Lee was talking about um, after her release her probation included mandatory therapy, which she says helped her make peace with herself because she had tried to end her life on multiple occasions prior. Um, of course, the mortuary was sued by for one million dollars by the family for severe emotional distress, and the defense psychiatrist said that he did not think the event had much of a lasting impact on the victim's mother, who said he who says. Um, who he said had a history of alcoholism and depression, which I don't agree with that part of it because, like, I don't care if you're an alcoholic or drug addict or whatever, you could still be distressed by the fact that someone took your son's body and desecrated it in the forest on the way to its funeral. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that would fucking freak me out. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what they're talking about here. What do you think about that part? Honestly, my first thoughts were that, you know, we tend to
3: look at things differently differently based on genders right so yeah. it's almost like you know oh my you know he got laid in death it's, it's almost like in some perverse way you could give it a thumbs up right even though <laughs> you know what I'm saying like
0: yeah that, that is I an interesting take worse, on
3: that I could think of worse things happening to my body <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm just, right right yeah. honest <laughs> I think if a female mortician
5: had sex with my dead body, I don't think I would really care. <laughs> I would, I wouldn't sue anybody. That's for damn sure. And I wouldn't, wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't call in any and have any complaints if that means anything.
0: Wait, that's so funny! Wow. Yeah, I'd probably be a little freaked out. I mean, unless he was hot and young, then like take it away, do what you want. But. If he's like this gross old man, don't touch me ever, life or death. Don't touch me. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, basically,
3: it's, just, it's well, weird. It's weird how we make meaning out of like such nonsense, right? Like, right.
0: It, it is, is ultimately,
3: ultimately, it's you know, an empty vessel at that
0: point. Yeah, so it, it really is, and it's it's interesting because we do apply emotion to it, right? Like you know, people pass away. It, it's still that person to you but it, at the end of the day you're right it is an empty vessel um which is interesting because it's like yeah. the carl case where she literally stuffed her with like rags and people thought of it as this love story you know they didn't yeah, they was, didn't care
3: yes, it, it, it was it was there was less body in that case but it was more about her spirit or personality mm-hmm.
0: um
3: you know where yeah, it, it's, it's very odd. So the way that we think about these things, I think a lot of the times also can't be separated from our um, beliefs about uh, religion or, or non-beliefs about it or, you know, um, how bad we think it is or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, or so it, I think it's a very individualistic and subjective thing.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, and that's what I think makes it hard as well because it's kind of like, how do you argue with someone's opinion, you know, it's kind of, it comes from all different things, like, like I said, if this was my family member, um, it's all circumstantial, right, it's all, it's, what's your relationship to it, what, what are your moral beliefs, what are you, even the discussion about afterlife, like, what happens to your body after you die, or, like, what happens to your spirit or soul or whatever, um, when you die, because that, I'm guessing would have a lot to do with if you believe that the body is still a person, rather than, like, a, just an empty shell of what it was, um,
3: Or do you even believe that there's anything at all after Right Yeah, exactly You know,
0: yeah. it, it's uh, um, One of my friends back in the day The way he described it to me I thought it was so interesting He believes that when you die He will, he, the way he posed it to me was Do you remember what it was like before you were born? And I said no And he said that's what it's like when you die And I thought that was a really interesting take on it I mean, I don't really I don't know what I believe to be honest Every day it's like switches I think it's more fascinating because it's the one thing that everybody has in common. Every single thing on this earth is going to die. Um, but it's the one thing yeah. that so many people <laughs> fear.
3: And, and we can't seem to agree on what the hell happened.
0: <laughs> right? Um, you would think by now there would be something yeah. to point to yeah. some um, kind of. Um, no, I, I share your friend's point of view, actually. I think that's what it is.
3: But I actually. So I know people that hear that and they find it terrifying. They, they're like, what?
0: Well it's incomprehensible once like, you're a compre- wow. like once you're a human being with uh a ability to comprehend, it it's incomprehensible to be like nothing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because we've we've been something for however many years and so we die, it's inconceivable to just suddenly be nothing. Right. But that and makes and the most sense.
3: <laughs> but nothing means no knowing
0: either, Yeah. right? Yeah. That's so an you interesting don't
3: point. know that you're nothing so <laughs> yeah. it's ultimately breaking even
0: yeah you
3: know, I, find it, I find it comforting yeah but then so let's get kind of far out here because i mean that's just one level of it so they've um i've recently looked at this um been reading about uh, neuroscience and there's an op- operation you can have called um a the corpus callosum. The corpus callosum is a part which links the left and right sides of your brain. And what they then, often they'll do this operation to prevent people from having seizures. It For some reason, seizures come from this part of the brain. So if you get rid of it, the seizures stop. And what they found with these people that they got rid of this um, corpus callosum is that the left and right side of their brains would split and each have a mind of their own. And kind of go to war with each other so the right side of the brain would try and make the left side of the body do something and then the left side of the body would try and make the right side of the body do something so this even this concept of like who are we all we you need to do is an operation on the brain and your entire consciousness splits in two right
0: that's so wild it
3: would be playing out for you there
0: that's so wild
3: yeah i don't I have a hard time fathoming, fathoming that. Like, are you, are you just... Abs- so, I guess at one point, like, when you're using your left brain, you're going, no, I want to do this, but your body's doing something else because your right brain seems to have a mind of its own. I mean, it's just... When it's, you get this deep into this stuff, it's...
0: Fascinating. You know, it's
3: really odd.
0: Yeah. It sure is. Um, but you, you touched on this a little bit before. She did give an interview in 1987. Um... Getting back to Green Tree's case about her practice with necrophilia, and we did mention that she did, well, does currently uh, really regret this interview. But I thought it was interesting to talk about some of these points because really, it's one of the most, the deepest we've ever really seen someone openly discuss. You know, their necrophilia, uh, the necrophile parts of them, I guess. So. Some of the excerpts from the interview that I thought were really curious, um, and the interview was for the anthology book Apocalypse Culture, which was entitled The Unrepentant Necrophile, was the title of this interview. And when she was asked the question, I well, so when asked, the question I most often asked is how does she do it? Um, Her answer was, I don't mind telling people how I do it. It doesn't matter to me. But anyone adept sexually shouldn't have to ask. People have this misconception that there has to be penetration for sexual gratification, which is bull. The most sensitive part of a woman is the front area anyway, and that's what she needs to be stimulated. Besides, there are different aspects of sexual expression. Touchy-feely, 69, even holding hands. The body is just lying there, but it has what it takes to make me happy. The cold, the aura of death, the smell of death, the funeral surroundings, it all contributes. And then she was asked to clarify about the smell of death part, which you kind of touched on um, in discussing, you know, the different facets of why someone would be interested in um, even the idea of necrophilia. The the different allures. So she's just mentioned two of them. Corporeal
3: sensory. And she said the whole atmosphere of, of the funeral parlor, right? Yeah. And that's ritual like monographic. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, you're fine. That's perfect. So, um... Yeah, when asked to clarify about the smell of death part, she said, quote, Sure, I find the odor of death very erotic. There are death odors and there are death... (laughs) There are death odors and then there are death odors. Now, you get your body that's been floating in a bay for two weeks or a burn victim. That doesn't attract me much. But a freshly embalmed corpse is something else. There's also this attraction to blood. This is graphic, so warning to anyone who's queasy. I mean, I guess this whole fucking podcast is pretty graphic, but this is pretty, you know, gross. Um... When you're on top of a body, it tends to purge blood out of its mouth while you're making passionate love. You'd have to be there, I guess, is what she said about that. Um, She had also admitted in the interview to attending the funerals of her corpse lovers and having some kind of thrill from knowing that she had this intermittent experience with the corpse where the family had no idea. And she said that sometimes the family members would comfort her, um, you know, as if she was also part of the grieving process. And she felt like that connected her even more to the corpse um, because it did feel like she was grieving, you know, a loved one or, you know, what have you. And when she was asked when she first became aware of her necrophilia, she said, it's something I've been attracted to all my life. Um, she said she misses working in funeral homes terribly. She said, even if she wasn't a necrophile, she likes mortuary work. She enjoyed the embalming and everything except for obese people. The body she hated working on most were obese people, specifically if they had been autopsies because... This is so gross. Their guts would slide out on the floor and shit and all this melty fat. Yeesh. is what she said. And then she was asked if she had ever been caught before. And this was the last quote that I found kind of interesting. She said, quote, I was on the prep table having a good old time when all of a sudden I felt like there was somebody nearby. Next thing I heard people walking down the hallway, I quietly jumped off the table and threw the sheet back over the body. "'My clothes were in quite a state of disarray "'and I had blood on me and everything else. "'It had been an autopsy case. "'There was a casket with the lid open "'and the side casket room, so I ran and hid behind it. "'The casket was on a church truck, "'so they couldn't see me, but they could see my legs. "'It was a man and a woman. "'They were standing there saying, "'Who are you? What are you doing here? "'One of them said to the other, "You, "'You go get the gun. I'll call the cops. "'I'll stay down here.' She said, I knew I only had one chance then, so she busted out and ran. She knew the layout of the place, so she just ran down the hall and out of the cemetery. And she said they still could have called the cops or reported it, and they didn't. Um, they, no one ever tried to hunt her down. Um, but like you said, she later really regretted this interview, and I uh, fucking I wonder why. Um, and she changed her identity and moved to a different city. So she is now, I don't know what her, I don't know if you found anything about that, but I didn't find anything about what her current name or anything is nor does it
3: really like, matter too uh, much? No, no.
0: So what do you think um, about all that?
3: Okay. Um, <laughs> so that was, that was quite a bit. So uh, do you remember I was talking how there's um, about the necrophilia spectrum. So um, things like uh, mutilating a corpse is also kind of a form of necrophilia and you know the, the visceralania in, in Jeffrey Dahmer. Well, um, her talking about being turned on by the blood coming out of the nose—that's an, another thing that could be on the necrophilia spectrum, called um, hematolania, which is attraction to blood. So, it's—it's. It, it, it's, it's I guess what I'm getting at is when we think of necrophilia, don't think of it as an act. Think of it as an umbrella of all kinds of different related, mm. uh, interrelated sexual. Paraphilias and fantasies. Interesting.
0: That's a really good point, and it, and it's nice that that's like the kind of the the end point, right? Because we're kind of at the close of this, uh, this podcast, this episode, and that's a really interesting way. Because I never like like you said, most people just think necrophilia, sex with dead person, mm-hmm. bam, done. Um, even some of these things people probably wouldn't even consider necrophilia, like um, masturbating next to a dead body type of thing. But it is so interesting that there's so many facets underneath.
3: Yeah. We also didn't get into, uh, and I'll just do it briefly, how many people out there do this necrophilic role-playing, which of course begins with a fantasy. So there are prostitutes that specialize in making themselves as much like a dead body as possible for their clients, and they charge an extremely high fee for it. So what they'll do is they'll take a really cold bath in like ice water. They'll put ice cubes inside their orifices and then they'll put uh, like powder on them and lie there completely motionless. Sometimes like in a coffin with funeral candles and their job is to play dead while the client comes in and does whatever to them. And it's like, it's like a highly, uh specialized form of prostitution which they can make a a lot of money doing and there are brothels i know at least in austria that where prostitutes will offer this service and presumably elsewhere too wow so there's this whole other level of it where there could be guys doing this in a role-playing scenario just kind of like um
0: It's crazy to think that, yeah, it's crazy to think that, like, these things that aren't even conceivable on, you know, many people's radars are actually lucrative businesses for others.
3: Right. It's kind of creepy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) It's really creepy. And that's that's why it's such a rare commodity. You can charge a lot for it, right? Yeah. Very true. Very
0: true. Trying to think what I just lay there and just pretend to be dead. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I mean, if I was paid a lot of money, and we could we could convince me to take a cold bath. <laughs> <laughs> All right,
5: Lee. <We, laughs> on that note, we just want to say thank you again for everything that you've offered for us. Oh, this is like inside. my
0: favorite episode I that mean, I think we've ever so done. So
5: interesting for us to be able to talk to you and get some honestly not not even just knowledge that we would have never been able to ascertain on our own research. It's just been great.
0: And I'm going to buy your books because I really want to read them. <laughs> but um, yeah,
3: awesome. Well, it's been a lot of fun. Like, like I said, I love the concept of the podcast. Even, I even love the name for it, Eye for an Eye.
0: Thank and, you. you
3: know, um, yeah. So if, if you dig it, and there's always a pun in necrophilia, uh, my podcast, Murder Was the Case, and um, we usually do our stuff live in studio. But if for some reason you guys are ever in Toronto, you're you've got an invite. Oh, I love, I love the it. city! I and we want sweet. you back
0: on our show too, because I saw that you have some things to say about Armin Mule. Mule how do you say his last name? Armin.
3: Armin Mavves. My, Mavves. Yeah. I could yes. uh, say a lot about Armin.
0: I think you should because we're definitely covering him, because his case is so fascinating, especially with the eye for an eye concept. So I would love to have you back whenever mm. we cover him, if you are interested.
3: Yeah, definitely. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Uh, I've written extensively about Armin, so. Ooh, that case that is one. a
0: that case is one that's real fucking interesting. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But thank uh, you so much for uh, being uh, here with us tonight. Um, I would like literally this is my favorite episode that we've done so far. I just I've learned so much, and I think that's why I'm so fascinated by all this. Right. Um, and yeah, you know, you've been so great and. Talking with us about this And you've been a great conversation I'm just so excited I want to get this out like ASAP now I'm like let's get everyone to hear this I'm so excited
3: All right, well it's been just as wonderful for me guys And uh, I'm glad that I could bring something new to it Why don't you have yourself a good night
0: Hey you too And everybody make sure you check out his podcast Murder was the case You will literally learn everything you need to know In the first episode (laughs) He goes over all of the terminology, all of the nitty-gritty behind crimes. So that really is a good backbone to really any true crime podcast, let alone his other episodes. Um, I was listening to it this morning, and I was like, shit, I didn't know that either. <laughs> I learned so much from you, Lee. Yeah. But thank you so much, and I yeah. hope you have a wonderful rest of your night. Yeah,
3: you too. All it's, right. Uh, it's been terrific. Goodbye, yeah. guys. Good night. good night. buddy.
5: Thank you. Yeah, bye. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. All right, everybody, that was everything you needed to know about necrophilia, honestly. I think you guys should all go get his books. I'm about to because I'm really interested after our conversation. I'm enthralled. Right? It's, I've learned so much in the last, what, two hours and 45 minutes than I've learned probably ever doing research on my own. Um, we thank Lee so much for being a part of our show, and we hope you guys enjoyed it. Love you all. Go rate, review, subscribe. Go check out Lee's podcast, his books. Um, he's also a country music singer, so go check that out too. Woo! I don't know why I just turned into a western.
5: Terrible accent. We
0: hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your night. Love y'all. Bye.
5: Holla.
1: is clinically called necrophilia it's considered a mental disorder that can be treated but never cured local 12's lauren berkrich is live at the coroner's office in coreyville with a closer look at this disorder lauren Kid, this is an act that is viewed as repulsive and offensive. The idea of having sex with a corpse is almost impossible to understand, but it is a mental disorder. Necrophiliacs often first develop the desires preteens and it can turn into an obsession. So tonight, with the help of experts, we're going to take a closer look at this disorder and what may have happened to Karen Range. More than 25 years after Karen Range was murdered, we learn Kenneth Douglas, a coroner's employee who placed Range's body in refrigeration, may be responsible for having sex with her corpse. That act is known as necrophilia. What they will do is they will engage, uh, put themselves in position to engage in sexual acts with people who can't resist. And this is one form of that. A dead person certainly can't resist. Them. Forensic psychiatrist Scott Bressler describes necrophilia as a severe sexual fetish. But it's not just about sex. It leads to an imagined relationship. And they can go into their mind and fantasize whatever they want to fantasize in a very um, bizarre, obviously, uh, way. It's all in their mind. To a great extent, it's the same thing with pornography. The person in their mind is creating an imaginary fantasy relationship. Psychologist Dr. Stuart Bassman has treated necrophiliacs and says in their mind, it's a loving act. Hard to understand, yes, but that could mean Karen Range's rapist did not intend to hurt her.
3: In their mind, they believe they're doing something very innocent most of the time. They believe they're doing something that's not really hurting someone.
1: Kenneth Douglas worked at the coroner's office for 16 years. It could have been the opportunity he needed to act on his desire, and it could have been an obsession. Dr. Bassman says necrophiliacs often have more than one victim.
3: In terms of how many victims, most people can act out with a wide assortment of people.
1: So how does someone become a necrophiliac? Well, Dr. Bassman says it's a product of both genetics and environment. He says they often suffer from feelings of abandonment and that typically there is one major event in their life that actually activates these very bizarre feelings. Reporting live tonight at the coroner's office, Lauren Berkerich, Local 12. Kit, back to you. Thank you, Lauren. Kenneth Douglas, due in court tomorrow, faces up to 18 months in prison if convicted of gross abuse of a corpse. He worked at the morgue from 19. 19- 76 until 92. Prosecutor Joe Dieter says his office will investigate to see if there are any other victims.
2: The necrophilia accusations raise new questions about David Steffen's death sentence for Range's murder. Under Ohio law, the defendant is eligible for the death penalty in murder cases combined with another conviction like robbery, rape or burglary. Attorney Mark Crumbine says Steffen's lawyers could argue that his jury should have never heard evidence about Range being raped and the DNA is new evidence. In the early 80s, there was no DNA testing. The first uh, murder in Hamilton County that used DNA testing was uh, 88, that was my own case. So before that, there was no DNA testing on murders in this county. Prosecutor Joe Dieter says the new evidence shouldn't affect Steffen's death sentence. He says although Steffen may not have rape range, he did admit to attempted rape. Steffen was also convicted of aggravated burglary. Even